this chapter in its entirety. I said last week that chapter 2 certainly comes before the second part of chapter 1. And the reason for which I believe that is the case is because in an effort to encourage the saints of Israel, Joshua would send spies into the land in order to remind Israel that God had given them this land. You remember the first spies went in and they gave a report lacking in faith, full of fear and trembling. This report does not go that way. And in it, we see God's faithfulness not only to bolster the heart of Israel, but the way in which God conquers the hearts of those in the land, not merely by the sword, but through conversion. Joshua chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes. The men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark and the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the sea, Red Sea for you to come out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, For her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. 
So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own house, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on your own head or his own head. And we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountains, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of this country are faint-hearted because of us. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you this and we would ask that you might, by your never-failing mercy and your covenant promises which you have made to us, cause us to be ministered to by your Spirit as your word is preached May our hearts not faint or melt or be afraid of the kings of this earth. But may we fear you and you alone. That we would devote all that we are, all that we have, our very households, to the work and the building of your kingdom. Lord, that we might be like Rahab who sees the tide, who sees your mighty hand at work and makes peace. We have seen your peace. And so we cling to the one who is our peace, Christ, and pray his richest blessing upon the preaching of this word. We ask all of this then in your name. Amen. I've said it already of the book of Joshua and of the things that we have already seen. God is doing for the second generation things that are similar to what he has done with the first. None of these, including the spies who were sent into the land, save Joshua and Caleb, were left alive in the wilderness. And all of this second generation heard of the Red Sea, but did not see it. They heard of it and the mighty deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, but they did not see it. The first generation had their Passover, and they had the door in the house, the blood-stained lintel. They knew of it. It was woven into their very religion. And I mean this loosely, 
the very folk tales that they heard growing up. Not that it was not true, but it was for that second generation something glorious and powerful that God had done for them. Now, it can be difficult for us. In fact, in the book Knowing God, written by J.I. Packer, he reflects upon this principle. When we read the Old Testament, it is ancient stories that involve an ancient people in distant places. And it is hard at times to relate to the stories of old. The way in which we do it is we remember that we are part of the family of God because it is God that ties us together. And the way that God ties us together is his consistency in the way he reveals his salvation to us. God doesn't knee-jerk. He is steady on the pedal. This is where covenant theology is worth its weight in gold simply in biblical exegesis. Because it gives to us a God who does not change and who has for now 6,000 years revealed himself in a way that we can say, I I see that, I get that, I, I recognize what he is doing. Did you see it there halfway? The scarlet thread, the door, the room, the family. God will pass over not just the sins of those born of Israel, but those who are reborn and the evidence of their rebirth by their confession and thus entrance into the visible church. Tonight, I want to talk about Rahab, her confession and devotion, the example that she is for us, and more than anything, the primary mover in all of this redemptive history our God who is our Redeemer. Two points that I want to make tonight. The first, a not-so-secret mission. A not-so-secret mission. And second, Rahab's confession and devotion. Let's look at the first point, a not-so-secret mission. Joshua probably wisely sends only two spies this time, not 12. He probably chose guys he could trust Men of good character, faithful to the Lord. And he says, go into the land. That is the land of Canaan. Across the Jordan, Israel's on the other side of the Jordan. They're to go over the Jordan and into the land and spy it out. Well, word comes to the king of Jericho that there are spies in the land. Perhaps they were traveling in other areas and the rumor mill got started And while they were in Jericho, word came that they were there. Now, why does Joshua send spies in to begin with? Well, it's to relive the glory days. Those were not the glory days. (laughs) They were not the glory days. It was not for remember berries or nostalgia. It was in order to bolster and strengthen the confidence of his people to go in. This is wisdom as it relates to leadership applied. So if I were giving a talk at a leadership conference, I would speak of the wisdom and the cunning of Joshua, the son of Nun. That is not the primary point of this passage. However, it is evidence of God's faithfulness to his people. As he has done, so he will do again. In fact, faithful church leaders... The rulers that Christ has given under shepherds of the church 
are to be wise and cunning in the way they lead people. We're going in this direction. This is why. This is what we can expect. Take heart. God leads us in this. Now, there are very few things that we can guarantee now as elders. One of the things that we can guarantee is that through word, prayer, and sacrament, Christ will build his church. We cannot guarantee the speed, the rate, who will and who will not respond favorably. But we can say with Christ, we can do all things. We can, by word, prayer, and sacrament, establish a church that will never be shaken. What I cannot guarantee is, well, things that lie beyond my control, which is nearly everything. (laughs) And I would not expect you to hear me say, I promise in this year, in one, or one year from now, we will be swinging on a brand new swing set in the playground. So what do we do? We pray and ask that that might be God's will. This mission is prudent, but it is quickly found out. It is compromised, and while the men are there, verse 2, or end of verse 1, they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now, there's some controversy as to whether this woman was in fact a harlot Or merely an innkeeper. They were probably one and the same at the time. She was a woman of, at least up to that point, ill repute. This is perhaps one of the reasons that they went there. was because it wouldn't seem out of the ordinary for these men from Israel to go stay in a place like that. But, again, the secret was uncovered. The king of Jericho says... Behold, men have come, verse 2, here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab. That is, he called her to come to the courts of the king, bring these men out. And what does she do? Something incredibly, to me, satisfying. She undermines the work of the wicked through what I would call a righteous deception. I did not always think this. My mind has been changed. Much like the midwives of Egypt when he, the Pharaoh, called for them to abort, to commit infanticide, to take the young boys born to Jewish women and throw them in the Nile or to kill them on the spot, the Hebrew midwives did not wonder for a moment of the morality of not doing that and then leading Pharaoh astray, and in fact, lying in such a way that was actually a reflection of God's covenant promises to Israel. While Israel is in captivity, they went from 70 to 1.6 million. That's, that's a pretty good church growth model. You know how you do it? Have babies and don't kill them. God built that nation From 70, they honored the Lord even in slavery for 400 years. And the midwives, in order to honor God, for they were rewarded by God for their unwillingness not only to kill the Hebrew boys, but to undermine the wickedness of Pharaoh. They deceived him. And in the same fashion... Rahab, out of a fear for God and not her own king, led him 
and his servants astray. She preserved, she saved the lives of the spies of Israel, which was in fact part of the testimony that they would bring back to Israel. They're scared of us. They're scared of us. And in fact, if you stop for just a moment, saints of God, and thought for the world, and thought about the world as God sees it, one of the things that you miss when you don't sing the Psalms is how you're to think of the world. They're more scared of us than we are of them. And I'm not just saying they ought to be scared of us. They are terrified of the proclamation of the king who died and was raised again. And do you know why they're scared? Because their father is the devil and he is scared. They have no hope. And here the king of Jericho sees the very same things that Rahab saw. Now for Rahab, she turned, repented, and endeavored to make an alliance with the people of the king, the God who led them across the Red Sea on dry ground. Do you know what people respond to? Mighty works of God to bring about deliverance. Don't hide the ace up the sleeve that belongs to the Christian church. Lead with Christ crucified, Christ risen again. I know a God who went into the grave and who is no longer in the grave anymore. And it is he whom you ought to fear and worship and adore. Do not think for a moment that God has stopped doing mighty deeds to which we can testify and say, that's my God. And just because it happened a long time ago doesn't mean you can't bring up the Red Sea. Right? That happened. That happened. And so we here find these spies in the hands at the mercy of a harlot. What will she do as they're hiding there among the flax? She leads them on a wild goose chase. I think I mentioned geese now twice today. She leads them on a wild goose chase. Why? Well, she tells the men why. Verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land... How do you think she knows this? Because she runs and has run a brothel. Because this is the kind of stuff people talk about in an inn like that. She hears all the gossip. And it is because she has heard of the mighty deeds of God by men who are not worshipers of God, yet can see it nonetheless. She says, wait. What will he do to Jericho when Israel shows up? What will he do? Because already what has he done? We heard how the land, verse 10, dried up, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, here we find it. I beg you. Swear to me by the Lord. These weren't spies to her. These are missionaries of the nation of Israel. Because these are the only men she's ever met from that nation. And she is asking them, how do I make peace with your God so that he will not destroy me and my family? Every single conversion that has ever happened in the history of the world has always been from a heart that looks at God and says, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. Because I know that I am a sinner. And if my sins are counted against me, I cannot stand. I live in Jericho, but I don't want to die like these people. In fact, our own confession talks about this. What is conversion? Conversion is out of the sight of the, in sorrow for our sins, we repent. We repent. How do you come to awareness of that? Because someone, your pastor, your father, your mother, another friend, your neighbor has said in light of the Life they see you living. Harlotry. Rebellion. And I mean harlotry metaphorically. Rebellion against God. You must repent. Because the crusade, if that's an indelicate word, the mission of the kingdom, the procession of the body of God that is covering over all the earth, comes with this clear message. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. God will not stop with Jericho. He's coming to your city. Now that would be a hard thing, right? If you're a sort of traveling revival. I don't know if Billy Graham ever did it that way. You better get ready, because we're coming to your town. But it is that as Christ is moving through the world, what he is doing, and we see this even with the disciples, go to this town. But if they do not receive you, what are you to do? Shake the dust off your feet as an act of judgment against them. We don't want to talk about that, right? It's here, it's present, it's part of God's holy word. This woman, not discounting her former life, has seen the mighty acts of God and she responds like a true Israelite. How can I be saved? What must I do to be saved? And not just her but all those whom she loves. This is what we call a covenantally faithful response. How can I be delivered? And as those who are at work in the world, the spies here, and we today, are we prepared to convey the oath that Christ makes 
that this is the way in which you are delivered. Because what do they present? If I can say it in a way that does not sound cliche, they present the gospel. Get inside the house that indicates your hope in the salvation of the God of Israel. Not blood painted on the door, but what? Something that indicates the same. A scarlet thread. Peace. Peace. This is Rahab's show of devotion. Because what melts some hearts and what develops into holy terror also melts some hearts into righteous fear. The whole city of Jericho was afraid. I love that. Why were they afraid? Because God was on Israel's side, as it were. God was moving through the land. In fact, God was not busy in those 40 years of wilderness simply punishing Israel. He was displaying his mighty power to prepare the land in order for the conquest of the church, the nation of Israel, to take control, to take over. What do you think Christ has done for us? That Christ dies so that we can lay down our arms and just watch it all go to nothing? What Christ has done in his death and burial and resurrection is he has delivered us across the Jordan. We are baptized into his death, consecrated into him, and then we are delivered into the land. And Christ has said to us as the church, this is your inheritance, go and take it. And what are we to do? We don't need spies. The promise is right here in the scriptures. And the promise is what? It's yours. Go take it. And to live and minister in such a fashion that the world sees the faithfulness of the saints. And this is what they say. Whatever you have, Whatever you've got, whatever mission you're on, I want to be part of it because I see the value of it and I see the danger of rejecting it. So what does that mean? Every gospel presentation, every conversation in which you bring up the glory and honor of Christ must always confront what? The true end of every sinner if you do not ally yourself to the king of Israel, to the king of the church, to the king of heaven and earth, you will be destroyed. That's the pledge, is it not? In this way, Rahab is exemplary to us. And in this way, Rahab challenges many of our preconceived notions Remember when Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, and such were some of you. What were they? They were like Rahab. They were adulterers and fornicators. 
They were practicers of witchcraft. They were depraved, godless sinners. And Christ conquered them. And in every one of those lives, the way it happened is this. Out of the sight of their own sinful misery, they said, if I do not put my trust in Christ, I will perish. Rahab saw the end of that campaign. And she did not want to be on the losing side. She wanted to be saved alive from the judgment and wrath of God. And so, the men say, verse 17, we will be blameless of this oath of yours which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in your window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your... This line is doing all kinds of saving here. It saves the spies. It will be the means by which they know that they are saved. Why? Because when the judgment of God passes over, how will we be identified? How are we saved? Right now, the only means by which you are saved from the wrath of God is through the alien, strange righteousness of Christ imputed to you, given to you. It is a gift, not by work, so that no man may boast. So that when the righteous judgment of God falls upon men, what do we plead? I've got the reds, I've got the scarlet cord. I'm covered beneath the blood of Christ. Otherwise, what? The blood will be on our hands. Is this not what they say? And whoever is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. Prior to that, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. God sees. God knows. And the evidence of the distinction, the fruit of the faith, of this woman and the membership of this family, because we don't know anything about the rest of her family except she's, she's bringing them into this oath as well, is that they are members of the visible church. But what we know of Rahab is what? She expresses faith working itself out. <laughs> And so what we find as it relates to the two families of earth, this idea that has already been introduced and repeated time and time again in the first five books of the Bible is taken up again in the book of Joshua. That the two families of earth are known in relationship to where they go for safety. Where do you flee when you hear of the wrath of God? Do you put your trust in kings and horses and princes? What happened to every man and woman and child in that city 
that did not seek salvation through the scarlet thread. They were brought to ruin and destruction. As far as I know, it is just this family. But it is the same mechanism. That repeated refrain of God's saving mercy is shown in color, the color red. And it is for Israel a confirmation that God is at work among his people. One of the evidences of God's faithfulness to us is when people in those cities, wherever it may be, the cities of men, the high places of false religion, come to our side and they say, how can I be saved? What must I do? How can I be at peace with the king you worship? Now, it says something about our worship, doesn't it? What must our worship be like if we serve such a king? Well, we must sing songs of conquest. We must sing songs of God's covenant faithfulness. We must be bold. We must ourselves seek to take the land. For the faith of Rahab is not only a blessing to her family, it is also a blessing to the nation of Israel because it confirms to the whole nation what? God's been doing something here in Jericho long before we ever got here. God's been doing something in Lowell long before we ever got here. The question for us is this, will we go and claim our inheritance? That inheritance that God has in his providence lined up for us. God is showing us that it is through his work that the nations will be transformed. And so may we, in light of stories such as these, be encouraged. May we say, like the spies in all of Israel, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Let's pray. Lord, though we are no longer called,